Father, we thank you that we can come to you and find that your throne, where you rule heaven and earth and control all things by your power, your throne is a throne of grace. And because of Jesus, you give us grace. You give us what we don't deserve. Your love, your favor, your blessing. Lord, we praise you for the grace you give us in Jesus. And Father, we confess that, Lord, we struggle to trust you. It's like our minds are clouded by lies and deceit. Can't think and feel clearly or rightly. And so, Lord, we confess we struggle to trust you. And I pray for those that have gathered in this place, those that are watching us online, that that place where we most struggle to trust, that today you'd speak to us about that place and that it would be our joy to trust you more, to hand it over to you, to lay it all down at your feet and see that you are trustworthy. And those of that place, their trust in you will never be ashamed that they did. And Lord, we pray not only for ourselves, I, I pray for my friend, Pastor Corky. Lord, would you fill him with your power today as he teaches your people? Lord, pour out your blessing on Georgiana Church. I pray this to be the best year in the history of that church in terms of the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through the people of Jesus. Lord, I, I pray for good news, good reports, good things for our brothers and sisters just down the street. Be glorified in us today. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. And if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six. You know, it's a a new year. Pastor Kerry already referenced the fact that with a, a new year comes maybe a room full of new year's resolutions and Since we're seven whole days into the new year, maybe it's a room full of broken resolutions. I don't know how it's going with you. And I'm really not the kind of person who makes a long list of New Year's resolutions, but I do appreciate a fresh start. I I like a new beginning. I believe it's a good thing for us to think about the things that matter most and then set aside some time to consider how our lives can be better aligned with the most important things. That's one of the things I I appreciate about New Year's resolutions. And I I don't need to tell you this. You're in church. You probably already know I believe this and that it's true. There's nothing more important than our relationship with God. Nothing's more important than where we stand, how we relate to our great big God. That's one of the reasons why every year we set aside one of the first weeks of the year to focus on prayer. It's not the only week in the year that we focus on prayer, but we want to make sure that in this week we are focusing our attention on prayer and what it is and what the Bible has to say about how we are called to pray and how we can cultivate better lives or more powerful lives of prayer. And that's what brings us to Matthew chapter 6. Almost every two or three years, For the week of prayer, we return to Matthew 6 because Matthew 6 is the most comprehensive teaching of Jesus Christ about the topic of prayer. In this passage, Jesus unpacks for us layer after layer after layer of what 
God-honoring, Christ-centered, powerful, effective prayer looks like. And so we revisit this text over and over again. And so for some of you who've been here for 10, 15, 20 years, and you've been through this passage a lot with us, there are going to be some things that are just old reminders for you. And I pray those old reminders would be really good reminders. And for some of you, this might be brand new, fresh teaching that you've never heard before. And for you, I pray that your heart would receive the teaching of Jesus about prayer. But for all of us, whether this is our hundredth time or our first time in this teaching of Jesus, my hope is that we would leave this place committed to our great God and to the calling of Christ to be people who are filled and marked with effective, powerful prayer. So let's look what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. I'll read through verse 13. This is the word of Christ to us on prayer. This comes from the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of God for us today. I pray God adds his blessing to the reading of his word. And as I was preparing for this morning, one of the things that that stood out to me in a new way uh, about the Lord's Prayer is, is just how brief the Lord's Prayer is. I actually timed myself praying it. It took me about 25 seconds to thoughtfully pray through the Lord's Prayer. And in that way, this is a small prayer, right? It's not the sweet hour of prayer that we sang about as we were growing up. It's not even the sweet full minute of prayer that some of us are used to. It's 25 seconds long. And Jesus says, hey, when you pray, pray like this. And then he offers us a 25-second prayer. Now, don't misinterpret what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that we shouldn't labor and extended periods of time of prayer. When you study the Bible, you see in the life of Jesus, you see in the life of the early followers of Christ that often their times of prayer were marked by hours or extended periods of time. So I don't believe at all that Jesus is saying that a healthy prayer life consists of just 25 seconds a day. And I'm not trying to market my new book called 25 Second a Day Prayer. Uh, That's not it. What I'm saying is this. When Jesus tells us as his followers what it looks like to have a life of powerful, effective prayer, he doesn't focus on how much time we should spend praying. He focuses on something else. He focuses on the truths that should build a foundation for our prayers. You see, here's what I believe we're seeing here in the Lord's Prayer. I believe the Lord's Prayer is more a framework of truth for how we should be praying than something that we're supposed to use as a ritual prayer. And the reason why I say that is when you study the rest of the New Testament, what you find is that never again do you see anyone else 
praying the Lord's Prayer word for word. It's not that Jesus is saying, when you pray, just repeat after me, this rote ritualistic prayer. He actually warns against that. He says, don't heap up empty phrases when you pray. But then when you look at the rest of the New Testament, here's what you see. You see that every prayer you find can be traced to some part of the Lord's Prayer. Every prayer is somehow built on this foundation or this framework for prayer. And so I believe that the Lord is offering us a framework of truth for how we can have powerful prayer in our lives. And so this coming week for prayer week, here's kind of what that will look like. We're breaking down the Lord's Prayer into six different sections. And every day we're going to focus on one particular section of truth. So tomorrow we'll be focusing on God as our Father. And we'll be focusing our attention on being aware of the relationship that we have with God and his presence and love and care for our lives. On Tuesday, we're going to be focusing on God's kingdom coming and expanding and us submitting and yielding our lives to his will and not our own, and then so on and so forth. Each day, we'll look at a different component of the Lord's Prayer. Just so you know, here's how you can get those prayer guides. They're going to be available on our website. We'll post them on all of our social media. We'll send out an email giving you a link to those. And if you need a copy, you can swing by the church office. We'll be glad to print you off a copy of those prayer guides. Those are going to be daily walks through the framework of prayer that Jesus is giving us. And that's this week. But for this morning, here's what I want us to do. Rather than go through all of those those different parts of the Lord's Prayer, I want us to actually see the foundation of truth, the truth about God that Jesus is laying for us, that he says builds our prayer life. You see, what Jesus is telling us is that how we pray is determined by how we see God. Let me show you why I say that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. Six, notice this really clearly. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Notice what Jesus is saying. Before he ever gets to the actual words of the Lord's prayer, he says, don't pray like the religious hypocrites. Their prayers aren't powerful. They're not effective, even though they put on quite a show. What does Jesus say is missing from their prayers? Well, primarily, he says they have the wrong motives, right? They want to be seen by other people because they want glory, which is why they need to have a heart change so they can pray the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, not hallowed be my name. But Jesus also says that that's all because they don't see God for who he really is. Jesus says God sees the unseen. He sees what nobody else sees. God sees you, and I want you to hear this, even when no one else does, even when you feel forgotten and abandoned, he says God sees you, and then he says God rewards those who seek him in prayer. So before Jesus gets to the Lord's prayer, he lays this foundation of truth. God sees what no one else sees. He knows what no one else knows. And God rewards the people who seek him in prayer. And Jesus is saying, when you believe those truths about God, your praying will be built on a strong foundation. You'll pray the way you need to pray. He does a similar thing in verses 7 and 8. Notice what he does here. Verse 7, he says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. 
For they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Notice why he says the Gentiles pray by heaping up a bunch of of empty phrases. They think that God will hear them because of their many words, Jesus says. You see, the, the pagans of the day thought that the gods were easily distracted, that they were fickle, that they really didn't care much about people. And so you had to repeat yourself over and over again to try and get their attention. You had to say, hey, 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 look at me. Look over here. Like the gods were distracted. And and Jesus says, you don't pray, hypocrites, the right way. Because you've got a rotten view of God. God's not like that. It says, he already knows what you need before you even ask. So when Jesus lays the foundation of prayer in verses 5 through 8, the biggest truths he teaches us are really not about prayer at all. The biggest truths he teaches us are truths about God, most of all. Here's what Jesus is saying, and here's really the point that I'm drawing to. When Jesus says, here's what you really need to know about prayer, it's this. You really need to know God. If you know who God really is, not the one that's been handed down to you from people who didn't know God, not the one that our culture says exists or maybe doesn't, Exist, But when you know the one true, real God, you will pray the way you need to pray. And you can't actually pray, even if you repeat after me, and even if you say the right words. If your praying isn't built on a foundation of truth about God, Jesus is saying, you can't pray the way you need to pray unless you know God for who he really is. The Lord's Prayer is not some magical incantation that we mindlessly repeat. It's a guide that helps us pray in light of who God is. And that gives us our big idea for this morning's teaching. The big idea from this text is this. Powerful prayer is motivated by faith in who God is. Powerful prayer is motivated by faith in who God is. Listen, friends, if you want to experience the power of God in your prayer life, then saturate your heart in the truth of who God is as he's revealed in the Bible. God's power is poured out on people who pray as a faith response to who God is and what he says in his word. That's why you can't separate effective, powerful prayer from diligent study of God's word. So as we prepare our hearts this morning to step in as a church to a week of prayer, what I want us to do is just look at the word of God. And we're not going to go through all of the word of God because I know it's a new year and I don't want to take the whole year just this morning, but we're going to look at just this text and see what Jesus teaches us, what the word of God tells us about who God is, our great big God, and how we pray to him, even when our prayers feel small, even when we know how small we are. We see God and we can pray in a way that is powerful and effective when we know who God is. Here's the first thing we see. The first thing we see about God that motivates powerful prayer is this. God is our Father. Now, that's one of the first things and most important things you see. Verse 6, Jesus says, pray to your Father 
Verse 6 also says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 8, for your father knows what you need. The first two words of the Lord's Prayer there in verse 9 says, our father in heaven. It's really clear that one of the first things Jesus wants us to know about God is that he is our father. Now, that might not sound out of place for you because you've grown up in a culture that embraces this idea that we're all God's children. But the Bible teaches that we aren't actually born as God's children. As a matter of fact, for the Jews who were hearing this in the mouth of Jesus 2,000 years ago, they would have been shocked to hear him use this language. When Jesus talked about God being our father, it's actually one of the reasons why the religious leaders had him put to death. Look at John chapter 5. Verse 18 says this. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. Here's what's going on. The religious leaders know that God is sinless, that he's holy. They know that we as people have sinned against God. We've broken his commands and that our sin has separated us from God. And what that means is we're not able to enter into God's presence We can't really pray because our sin has separated us from God. So we can't enter his presence, let alone be called his children. And that's why Jesus came into the world, right? We celebrated that at Christmas. During Advent, we talked about it a lot. Jesus came on a mission to this earth to be God in the flesh so that he could take care of our sin issue and restore us to God at the cross. The the, the Bible teaches that God placed on Jesus the sin of everyone who would trust in him. And the punishment for our sin fell on Jesus so that when we trust in Christ, the Bible says we can be forgiven of all our sin and restored to God as our father. Listen to what Ephesians chapter one, four says. It says that in Christ, we are holy and blameless before God. Sin no longer separates us from God. John chapter one, verse 12 says, to all who receive him, talking about Jesus, To all who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Listen to me, friend. When you believe that God gave his son Jesus to be God in the flesh, one of us, born at Christmas to die at Easter as a payment for our sin, your sin and mine, and that the penalty for our sin is paid at the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus, he'll raise you up to a brand new kind of life. When you believe in Jesus, trusting in him, the Bible says your sin is forgiven. It is taken out of the way and you have become a child of God, the creator of this universe, the one who holds everything in existence together by his power and authority. That same God has made you his child. You know what that means? It means God wants you. It means God loves you. It means you belong in the presence of God. You aren't separated from him because of your sin. You are, listen, embraced by him as a loving heavenly father. And take that over now to the Lord's prayer. That's why the first words of the Lord's prayer are our father. Jesus says, as you begin in prayer, Don't move past relationships to requests. You know how many of us do that? We just go to God like he's a cosmic vending machine, right? I'll just put in this prayer, pull the lever, and out comes the thing I really want. Jesus says, don't move beyond 
the reality that this God in heaven is your father who loves you, who cares for you, who wants you to experience his embrace. Be mindful of the presence of your father, God. It even more means that you can flow into the rest of the prayer more naturally. When you think that God, by his grace, has forgiven you of sin and made you his child, your response is, God, you are great. So you can pray, hallowed be your name. I pray everyone sees how great you are because of your grace. You would say, your kingdom come. God, I pray that your kingdom expands into more hearts. That more and more people would know you as father. More and more people would be forgiven of sin and restored to you. When you see God as your father who adopts you as his child through grace in Jesus, you can pray the way you need to pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your awesome, wonderful name. Your kingdom come, forgive me. Because you believe that Christ has died for your forgiveness. You can confidently say, forgive me and give me grace to forgive others. The first thing we see about God is God is our Father. And that brings us to the second thing. Jesus doesn't just stop there. He he says that God is a giving Father. Look at the second part of verse 6. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. See what Jesus says there? He says God is a Father who will reward us. When we come to him in prayer, I find that amazing. Just think about this. God wants to give his children good gifts. I don't know how you see God, but I hope you don't see him as a grumpy old curmudgeon who hates to see you come his way. Like, man, Mary is so needy. She's just going to ask me for something else. That's not how God sees his kids. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, just the next chapter over. Verse 11, he says this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Let me ask you this. Do you like giving good gifts to your kids? Some of you are really good parents. We just celebrated Christmas at our house, and so that's a fresh question in our mind. We love giving good gifts to our kids. And I just got to be honest with you, Emily does the lion's share of all the Christmas shopping in our household. So I get to sit back, and I'm almost as excited as the kids to see what they got from us for Christmas, because she's the one who did it all. And one of my favorite parts about Christmas morning is not so much watching the kids, as much fun as that is, I love watching Emily watch the kids. She's as excited as they are. Every gift they open, when she sees a smile on their face, there's a yippee in the air. She's so excited to give because she loves giving good gifts to our kids. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think God is better than us earthly parents? You bet he is. So how much more does God enjoy giving good gifts to his children. Let me ask you, how would you pray if you believed that the God of heaven was eager to give you the very best gifts he could afford? 
Don't you know he already gave his own beloved son for you? The Bible says, how will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give you all things? God will not withhold any good thing from his children. Now take that over to the Lord's Prayer. That foundation of truth helps us pray for something called daily bread. God, would you meet my needs? And we have confidence. He's not withholding bread from us. He's not keeping anything back. We can have confidence that he will give everything we need. And what he chooses to give us is the very best that we could possibly get. He's a giving father who gives the very best gifts to his children when they ask him. So why would we not pray to a father who has the power to do anything and is eager to do everything that will bless his children. That brings us to the third thing we see. He's not just a giving father. God is a caring father. Look at verse eight. It says, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Don't you know God already knows what you need? And you might think that's just because God knows everything, which he does. But what Jesus is really pointing to here, I believe, is something even more than the fact that God already knows everything. I think what Jesus is really referring to is that God knows everything and at the same time is attentive to the needs of his children. He cares about them and so he stands by watching over them intimately in every detail of their life. Listen to the way that Jesus connects God's knowledge of all things to his care, his love, his concern for us as his children. Matthew chapter 10, just a few chapters later, Jesus says this, verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Man, you remember back in the day when you could get a couple sparrows for a penny? Inflation's killed the sparrow market. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. He says, these are so cheap, you can't even buy one because two cost a penny. And you have to know that God is so in tune to even them that not one of them is going to fall to the ground apart from him and his work and his power and his knowledge. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. That's harder for some than others. Verse verse 31, fear, fear not. Therefore, you are of more value. What's the point of God's knowledge of us here? It says you are of more value than many sparrows. What Jesus is saying is that God knows what you need, not just because he knows everything, but because he's intimately watching over you every moment of every day. You entered this room and you have a struggle. I know you do. We all do. And you may have come here wondering, does God see? Does God know? Does God care? And the resounding answer of Jesus Christ is yes. He knows, he sees, he cares. He is standing ready to take care of you as you come to him because he cares for you before you come to him. This dynamic almost always reminds me of my daughter Mia and her little blue princess dress. Mia is gonna be 17 years old next month. Is that crazy? She was leading us in worship this morning. She was that beautiful girl over here. I just offended three of the women on the stage, but she was my 17-year-old daughter. 
And I've told this story a couple times because it always is a reminder to me of this truth in the text. But when Mia was about two or three years old, she had a blue Cinderella dress that she loved probably more than anything else besides her little pink blanket that she'd carry around. And every morning she'd get up and she'd put on that blue Cinderella dress over her pajamas and wear those like mid-level high-heeled plastic Cinderella shoes that she'd clack around the house with. And it was one of the cutest things that has ever existed in all of God's creation. And I would ask her most mornings, hey, Mia, you want daddy to help you? And almost every morning, her answer was the exact same. She would say, no. I do it myself. No, I do it myself. And so I would let her do what she needed to do. She was a self-reliant, independent little girl. And now she's a self-reliant, independent young lady. And I love her. But one morning I saw her putting on that little blue dress and I noticed that one of the sleeves had gotten twisted around and turned inside out. Now, I knew there was no way she was going to figure out how to get her arm through that. Have you ever had that happen? You're putting on a sweater and you can't get your arm through that armhole. Well, she was dealing with that and I was watching her struggling. So I said, Mia, do you want daddy to help? And you can guess her reply. You know what it was? No, I do it myself. And so I stood back, right? Stood there and I watched her and I watched her struggle and I knew she, she was not going to be able to figure this out. I knew I had the ability to do what needed done and to fix the problem. But I knew she needed something more than just to have her dress fixed. See, I'm not the best dad, but I'm an okay dad. And I knew that she needed to understand something really important. And it's that her dad is always ready. And no matter what goes on in her life, dad is always ready to help. I'll do anything. I'll do anything that I can for my kids. And you're similar, right? You're the same. And so I stood there and I thought she needs to learn and her little Miss Independent Self-Reliance three-year-old self that she needs to learn to ask dad. So I watched and she finally realized I'm not getting my arm through this dress, arm sleeve. So, so dad, she looked up to me, dad, will you help? You know what I said? I said, no, it serves you right for putting me off. Don't treat me. No, I didn't say that, did I? You know what I did? I knelt down in that kitchen and I helped one of my little women get ready for a royal ball. And I I loved every moment. She looked at me like I was her Prince Charming. And now I'm going to make myself cry for the new year. And here's the reality, guys. That is similar to what God is doing in prayer. When we live prayerless lives, here's what we're saying to God. I do it myself. And God is a good father. He is a loving father. He knows that we need something that is most important in our lives. Namely, we need him. We need to learn. We cannot do it. Ourselves. And so praying in that sense is a confession we need God. And it's also a confession that we trust God. Here's what I mean. If you really believe that God knows everything, then let me ask you this. Do you believe that God knows everything? Then do you believe that God knows what's best for you? Really? Because when you really believe that God knows what's best and wants what's best, 
What do you do next? You pray verse 10 of the Lord's Prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. You know when Mia got help? She got help when she handed me that dress and said, Dad, you do it. And I know there are some of you today who are struggling. I really do. Because the thing that's twisted and broken in your life is you. And you are struggling. And you are trying to figure it out. And you're trying to do it. And you came here as an effort to try. And you have a father who loves you. Who is strong and mighty and knows what's best. And here's what he's calling you to do. Daddy, here it is. Will you fix it? Will you do what only you can do? And I just want to ask, what's that place in your life? What's that spot that's hard for you to hand over? Where's that place where you'll struggle and struggle till you are beat? God is already there, friend. Watching and waiting and loving you. Until you will come in humility to say, God, I trust you. Not my will, yours be done. Here it is. We have a father, a giving father, a caring father. And that motivates our hearts to pray. And our last thing very quickly that I want you to see is that God is not just our father. He's not just a giving father or a caring father. The fourth thing is God is our father. Now, if you've been paying attention, which I never take for granted that you are, that was the first thing I said we learn, right? That God is our father. But the first time around, what I meant was that God is father. I I was emphasizing the role of relationship with him. But I'm not talking about God just as father. I'm talking about God as our father, our, our relationship with one another. I want you to notice how Jesus phrases the Lord's Prayer. He says, our Father, give us our daily bread. Forgive us as we have forgiven others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. You might notice something about them. All of those words are plural. He said, we're part of a family. God is our Father, which makes us a family, which means that Jesus intends for us to pray with and for each other. When Jesus says, listen, don't be like the hypocrites who pray to be seen by men, but enter into the rooms and pray where your Father sees what isn't seen. Listen, he isn't saying that we have to enter those rooms alone. Jesus isn't saying we shouldn't pray with other people. He's saying we shouldn't pray to other people. It's not a charade. It's not a show. It's not to be seen by men. When you study the life of Christ and the life of the early church, one of the things you you consistently find is that people are praying to God with one another. That's the common pattern of prayer. And I believe that's why Jesus words this prayer the way that he does. He uses us and we language because he intends for us to pray with and for each other. Earlier in the service, Pastor Kerry mentioned There's something God has placed in our hearts as pastors. There's a a phrase that we've been talking about in the fall and praying over in in anticipation for 2024. And that, that phrase is this, make church small. Now, that's not an anti-church growth strategy. Um, Here's what that is. 
It's a strategy for how we believe that Jesus is calling us to live as his family, as his church. As God has been so kind to grow us numerically over the last year or so, we believe that Jesus wants us to be more than just a big group of people who meet together once a week and then go our separate ways. We don't believe that's what a family would do. We believe that Jesus wants us to be Christ followers together who live in relationship with him and with one another, a family that loves one another as we love Christ first, a family that sees one another and who we really are because we're present with one another more than just the big room, a family who hears one another, what's going on in our lives, and then bears each other's burdens in prayer. That's why we call it make church small, break this big room and group down into smaller and smaller groups because we can't do those things with everyone in this room. So we have to make church smaller in that sense. And here's what you're going to see. In the coming weeks and months, we're going to be sharing more about some of the strategy that you can step into an invitation to build relationship with each other, to have those connections with family members that you don't yet know, but God's calling you to love and he's calling you to serve and to pray for. In in the morning today and in the week ahead, here's what I'm just asking. What if we began to make church small just by having small times of prayer together to our great, big Father God? What if the next time someone in your small group tells you about something going on in your life, instead of just telling them that you'll pray for them, what if you just actually stopped for a moment and remembered that Jesus said, it's not about the length of time you pray, it's about the truth, about me, that motivates your prayer. And what if you just spent a moment in the hallway, walking out into the parking lot, talking over the phone and prayed with one another? What if you got together once or twice a week with two or three brothers or sisters in Christ and just made it a point to pray with one another out of the Lord's Prayer? What if you sent a text message each day to one or two people that God might place on your life and just let them know you're praying for them out of the Lord's Prayer? That's a culture of prayer that reflects the truth That God is our Father, meaning we are a family. That's making church small by embracing the relationships we have with each other as a family. God is our Father, church. Yours and mine. We're brothers and sisters. We're going through this together with Christ. And He loves us. He cares about us. He will give to us everything we need. He's just calling us to ask. He's calling us to look to him. He's calling us to pray. So my prayer, our pastor's prayer, is that 2024 would be a year filled with the glory and power of God in our church family, and in your life. And that begins as we see God for who he is and we pray in light of that truth. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? And rather than praying the Lord's Prayer out loud, I just want us to walk for a few moments in response to this truth through the Lord's Prayer. We'll begin with the first phrase, our Father in heaven, 
If you've never placed your trust in Jesus to be born again into God's great family right now, would you call on Jesus to save you? Just acknowledge that he died on the cross to forgive your sin and rose again to raise you up to a new life and call on Jesus to save you and claim that promise that anyone who trusts in him is adopted, is made a child of God. And for those of you who are trusting in him, would you give thanks right now? Give thanks that God has made you his child, has brought you into his family and given you a forever home. Give thanks and praise to God as our father in heaven. you pray for God's name to be hallowed, to be glorified. Pray that God would be glorified in your life, that you'd see how great he is, that those around you would see how great he is, and they would worship God above all else, and that you would worship God above all else. Pray, God, hallow your name in my heart. Pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's that place in your life where you struggle to say, God, do what you want here. I trust you with it. Would you lay that down before the Lord in prayer and just say, God, I trust you. I believe you're a good father. Do what you will. Give us this day our daily bread. Would you ask the Father to give you what you need today? There might be a specific place of need where you'd say, God, I need you to supply this. And I'm asking you, provide what I need today. And then trust that in knowing what's best, what he provides is what you need. Ask him for daily bread. Would you pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Thank him for grace to forgive your sin and ask him for grace. You forgive those around you. This morning, that might be a specific person. Would you pray for grace to forgive the sins of others even as you've been forgiven by Jesus? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray for God. Lead you in a life that is right in his sight. To give you victory over sin, the things that have you bound. Father, I thank you for your grace to us in Jesus. Father, help us to be more aware of your presence and your power in a way that would stir our hearts to pray. In and through each day, I pray that you'd fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who makes us your children, 
allows us to be forgiven and adopted into your family and help us to love one another. God, help us to pray with one another, to be glad that you're our Father, ours as individuals and ours as a community of believers. And may you be glorified as we seek your face together in the days that lie ahead. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.